Hey, what's up, Hope Brooklyn? Uh, my name is Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, obviously our, our service today is a little disjointed in terms of the setting where everything is happening. I was hoping uh, to be with the band and the worship team on Wednesday night when we recorded, um, but uh, God had other plans. Uh, my wife, Anna, uh, started going to contractions on election night, uh, which was a nice little distraction. I'm not going to kid you. And um, we gave birth to our first son, George William Joyce, on Wednesday morning. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I didn't want to come back and preach this message. I wanted to stay with them. But, um, but Anna reminded me that in the New Testament, uh, the family unit has been redefined. It's not just the nuclear family. Uh, it is now the church, those of us who love the Lord Jesus, those who have gone through the waters of baptism, those um, who have uh, given our lives to follow this God. We are the new family. And so she said, you have a responsibility to, um, to be with them in this week because it has been a tough week. So I slipped away for literally just this 30 minutes and then I'm going right back to be with them for a while. Um, for the message this week, uh, I wanted to write a letter uh, to the church in America. And so that's what I've done. Um, because it has been a very hard and very long week, um, but I do believe that God has something to remind us of um, through it. I want to be clear that this, this letter is to the church in America, uh, not just Hope Brooklyn. Hope Brooklyn is part of that, obviously, but this church uh, is a lot bigger. So for those who have felt the love of God through Jesus Christ and offered up their entire lives back to him, it's, it's, it's for, for us. And it's also for the church. This is not a letter for America. Uh, it is for the church. So with that, uh, I would like to, uh, to read a letter that I wrote to the church in America. Uh, I'd like to start by reading a, a very important story. It's long, but I ask that you sit with the words as I read it from Luke's Gospel. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, him meaning Jesus. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. 
I have examined him in your presence, and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into the prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women, who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes, casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. <clears throat> Why did Jesus die? Not from, uh, from God's vantage, but from ours. What was it about him that was so egregious we had to get rid of him? Well, we're told in the story, he is subverting the nation. He is leading the people astray. N.T. Wright spells out what this meant. If you remember, after Jesus entered Jerusalem the week before his arrest and crucifixion, since all of his ministry happened away from the capital, there were two significant moments that in many ways encapsulated the Jewish leader's charge, that he, Jesus, was in fact leading the people of Israel astray. The first, Jesus entered the temple, the heart of Israel, and created a mess. He fashioned himself a whip, turned tables, opened cages, flung money, 
and drove out those who were profiting off the worship of God. The point was obvious. Israel's heart had become corrupt. Its worship no longer directed toward God, but toward profit, toward power, which was all the more dangerous since the implicit view was that God was sanctioning all this by allowing it to happen in his temple. The second, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples in the upper room for Passover, broke a loaf of bread, decanted wine, and told them this was his body and blood that saved them. Once again, the point was obvious. Israel's most sacred meal, remembering how God set them free from slavery in Egypt, Jesus is now reinterpreting and saying, I am setting you free from your slavery to the evil one, under which you still exist without knowing it. The old Passover didn't fully work. Anyone who comes to me will be truly set free once and for all. As you can imagine, if you were a leader in Israel, you would recognize full well what Jesus is saying. That you have failed. That you are possessed by the evil one. And that Jesus is relieving you of your duties. Instituting himself as the new leader of Israel. He will be the new temple where God resides. His body and blood will be the new Passover that sets Israel free. Also, Jesus will be the new priest and the new king. He will be everything. You can go now. I'd probably kill him too. The leaders of Israel took him to Pilate. The secular politics of their day because Rome crucified people and did not feel bad about it. That's how the world works. It uses force, greed, deception, power to take what it wants and to keep it and it doesn't hide it. Israel though isn't allowed to kill Jesus, but they still want their way. So they use the methods of the world, hiding their hypocrisy behind secular Roman politics, imagining that they were simply being shrewd, but they were mistaken. As N.T. Wright puts it, this was how Jesus envisioned the victory over the real enemy. The Satan had taken up residence in Jerusalem, not merely in Rome, and was seeking to pervert the chosen nation and the holy place into becoming a parody of themselves, a pseudo-chosen people, intent on defeating the world with the world's methods, a pseudo-holy place seeking to defend itself against the world rather than to be the city set on a hill, shining its light on the world. There were some women following Jesus as he carried the cross and weeping for him, and he turned to them and said, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. For catastrophe is coming upon you because you did not recognize God's visitation. And in 40 years, 40 years, the temple of Jerusalem will be razed to the ground never to be rebuilt. And there will never be another prophet sent to Israel, so filled by the power of God, like Jesus. I found myself weeping a lot this season for us, the church. The other day I was on a call with some pastors in my denomination. We spent an hour praying together. It was overwhelming. We were all crying and rocking and covering our heads praying as hard as we could. We were desperate. We were absolutely desperate. Why were we so desperate? 
because I believe we are repeating the scene. I believe that once again, just like Israel, the church has become a parody of itself, intent on defeating the world with the world's methods, intent on defending itself against the world rather than being a city set on the hill. And in all this, I believe that we, the church, just like Israel, thought we were saving the church from being led astray. This year, our hearts have been revealed. And like Israel, we have aligned ourselves with Pilate, the secular Roman politics of our day, to pursue a vision of power now, according to our own political leanings. And in so doing, we have, like Israel, missed Jesus, rejecting God's invitation to us once again. We thought we were saving the church from the Satan who's at work in the other party over there, who wants to destroy the church, but instead, by putting all the church's hope in a political candidate or a political process whose methods make sense on the world's terms, we have revealed that, like Israel, the Satan is not just at work over there, he's at work in us. You know, Judas Iscariot saw clearly what Jesus intended when he cleared the temple and reinterpreted the Passover meal. Some scholars have even proposed that it was at these moments when Judas finally realized that how Jesus was going to save the world was not aligned with how Judas thought he was going to do it. And once it dawned on Judas what Jesus actually had in mind, he said enough is enough and he got out. I'm sad, church, and I'm afraid because I believe our heart is closer to Judas than we realize. It took Judas three years of following Jesus three years of following Jesus to finally recognize that he and Jesus were not going after the same things. Judas wanted power in this life. He wanted safety. He wanted Israel to be free now. And he wanted to use the world's shrewd and gory methods to achieve it. And he wanted all of these things more than he wanted Jesus. Likewise, I fear we too have exposed our real hearts. I fear Christians on the right want religious freedom in this country more than they want to freely worship Jesus, no matter if they're allowed to or not. I fear they want a Christian nation more than they want a Christian church. I fear Christians on the left want to dismantle systems of injustice in this country without realizing that complete justice is only secured at the cross of Christ. I fear they want to save the country from Donald Trump more than they want to save people from a life without God's forgiveness and love. And I fear that Christians on both sides are committed to their version of Pilate because they believe they are saving the church from being subverted and led astray thinking they are the ones on God's side, preserving a pure Christianity, just like Israel's leaders. I believe both sides think they are doing God's will and fighting for his truth, but I fear that there will be a moment, just like Judas, when it will dawn on all of us that we in fact are not aligned with Jesus's vision for how he intends to save the world, and we will leave him too. And just like Judas and the disciples, 
at the Last Supper when Jesus told them that one of them would betray him. Right now, in our hearts, perhaps we're saying, surely not I, Russ. Surely not I. But our hearts have already been revealed. I've watched as we've been angrier at candidates or the other side's lies or if a person is or is not wearing a mask more than we've been angry at how divided Christians are and how little we pray or read God's word or gather to worship him. I've watched as we have gone to the moon and back to ensure people will vote but make little effort to encourage our friends to tune in on Sunday to worship. I've watched as we feared the results of this election or what will happen to the church if the other side wins more than we feared God and what will happen to those of us who do not take up our cross daily to follow Jesus regardless of who is president. I've watched as we've been happier at election results or at the other side's mishaps more than we've been happy that God loves us and has come in the person of Jesus. Our hearts have been exposed for what they really prioritize. And like the women following Jesus' cross, I am weeping because I am sad. I am sad because I believe we have aligned ourselves with Rome and Rome's methods, but think we are saving the church from going astray. And this part right here is where the letter shifts. Because originally, if I had read this letter to the church on Wednesday night, it would have had a different ending. In fact, originally I had written that I am sad and I am afraid because like the women following Jesus and his response to them, I don't know what catastrophe is coming upon us. But I was wrong to write that. My despair and my frustration got the best of me. And God had to remind me of that. And he did. You know how he reminded me? He gave me a son. We had a son. I told you I've been crying a lot this season. And that has continued. I cannot find words to capture what I felt when my son came into the world. When Anna held him after pushing him out, when I looked into his eyes for the first time. I wasn't allowed to spend the night in our hospital, so I went home and I woke up early. And I spent time with the Lord before heading back over. And all I could do was praise God. Who am I, O oh Lord, that you would give me this child? Who am I, my God, that you would entrust to me? You would entrust to me this precious life you created. And then it struck me. God entrusted to me his child. In the midst of this divisive, chaotic world, with the hearts of the church easily led astray, easily corrupted, God is still in the business of giving us his precious children. Because in case you forgot, once upon a time, God so loved his world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever would trust in him would not perish, but live with God forever.
And I wrote in my journal that morning for my son, I said, George, George, my son, I pray you love this world. I pray you love people. Love them so much. Love them well. But I pray that you trust God. Because I will let you down, George. One day your innocence will be gone and you will let yourself and others down. But my Father in heaven who gave you to me, he has yet to let me down. Candidates will let you down. Elections will let you down. People will let you down. But God has yet to let me down. Love people with all you have, but love God. Desire Jesus most of all. Though it seems unnatural, though it seems like we might not get what we want, I promise you, son, to follow him, to want him more than anything else is the greatest path of life offered. And when I've done that, when I've truly loved Jesus more than anything else, when I've wanted him more than anything else, my heart is most at peace. And I pray it's the same with you. And to be clear, guys, to be clear, church, to want Jesus more than anything else is not to say we can't have a strong opinion on the state of our country and which direction we'd like it to move. Nor is it to say that we can't love our children with all we have. Rather, it's simply to say that in our hearts, whether today we got what we want or we did not, most of all, we are grateful that our hope does not depend on which political party is in power, nor does it depend on whether I am a good father or let my son down or not. Our deepest hope rests in the forgiveness of God given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Our greatest trust is in His Spirit to shape us into His image, and our first love is Him above anything else, because, friends, He's still giving us His children. And so as a prayer to close today, I'd like to sing a song. This has been a song that's been on my heart a lot lately. It's been a cry of my heart. It's been a prayer. And I pray, church, once again, it will become the greatest cry of all of our hearts. So let's sing. Well, I'll sing the first verse as a prayer, and then we'll sing it all together uh, as the worship team. So let's pray. In the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise in the morning when I rise give me Jesus give me Jesus Give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus.